Brother Michael opened with my favorite text from all over the years. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They can make a distinction that the sound under consideration is joyful in contrast to all the other sounds in this world. That's naturally and also spiritually. I love Brother Michael and I sure enjoyed that message, Brother Michael. Now, Brother Michael spoke about several things concerning the word blessed. He started his text off with the word blessed. Now, I'd like to do the same thing, but I'd like to begin in Matthew 5, 8. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, we have Christ speaking the Sermon on the Mount. Now, oftentimes, people refer to the verses before and after verse 8 as embracing the Beatitudes. And there's some wonderful blessings. The Lord started off, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the merciful, etc. But in verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, you know, I've quoted that verse many, many times. I've went over the Beatitudes numerous times in times past. But just the last two or three days, that verse seemed like it just weighed heavily on my mind. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a promise that Jesus Christ made. The day will come that you shall see God face to face. But I believe the pure in heart see God by an eye of faith now. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the writer tells us about a different type of heart. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who shall know it? Now notice, that's man's heart by nature. What a contrast between what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8. The heart is deceitful. Now, we live in a world of deceit. We're deceived just about every single day by advertisements and one thing or another and people lying instead of telling us the truth. Um, we live in a deceitful world. We're filled with a lot of deceitful people doing deceitful things, deceiving God's children, telling them things that's not accurate, telling them things that's not true. But the heart is deceitful above all things. Think about that. He didn't just say the heart is deceitful. He says the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. That's, that's not, you know, pleasant language in a sense, is it? But he's describing your heart by human nature, my heart by human nature. It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Psalms 14.1 and Psalms 53.1 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Now, we're not talking about the mind. Here we're talking about the heart. The mind's intelligent enough to know that there has to be a creator God by observing nature, by observing creation. Uh, they're without excuse. Paul tells us this in the first chapter of the book of Romans. They're simply without excuse. The evidence is overwhelming. But down in his heart, he says, the fool has said that there is no God. Man's heart by nature is described very graphically in the scriptures. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 25, and the Lord uses this analogy. Now, analogies are very important in teaching. Help people understand. And I've said many times, uh, any principle of truth in the Word of God, you should be able to find an example or maybe an analogy 
but you should be able to find the same thing out here in, in your observation in life. If you cannot find both those to go with it, then you probably don't have the proper understanding. Okay? He says, I will, and notice this, this is not man's will, this is God's will. There's a lot of difference between God's will and man's will. He says, I will. There's a lot of emphasis on man's will, but God's word emphasizes God's will. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. He says, I will take out a hard and stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. Now, he says, by nature, our heart is like stone. It's lifeless. There's no life in a stone, in a rock, is there? And you can do anything you want to to it. You can talk to it. You can pet it. You can rub it. <laughs> pour water on it. Do anything you want to. And there will be no response, right? Because it's lifeless. And that's man's heart by nature. It's lifeless from the standpoint of having a relationship, a living relationship with God. All right. But he says, I'll replace with something called a heart of flesh. Now, this is so clear. I, everybody ought to be able to grasp this. I'll replace it with a heart of flesh. Well, flesh is indicative of life. We, we're flesh and blood here this morning. We're talking, we're walking, we're doing all kinds of things to indicate we're, we're living this morning. <laughs> I have seen some people so motionless, I really didn't know if they were or not, and I had to go over and shake them a little bit to see if they were living or not. <laughs> but I'll replace a hard and stony heart with a heart of flesh. Now, this is a work that only God can do. This is a heart transplant. And God's been the great physician performing heart transplants since the very beginning of time, and he's never lost a patient. He doesn't have like an 85% success rate, a 95% success rate, 98, one thing and another. God's success rate is 100%, right? 100%. So he takes out that hard and stony heart. People say, all you got to do is give your heart to God. What would God want with a hard and stony heart? What would God want with a heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately weak? What would he want with a heart like that? Man's not willing to give that heart up if he could. He likes that kind of heart. But God reaches in, takes out the hard and stony heart, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 3 and 3, another good example of what we're trying to speak about here. The apostle is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says unto them, You are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. Now, what is an epistle? An epistle is a letter or a book. Paul wrote numerous epistles. He wrote nine epistles or letters to seven churches. I believe Paul wrote... Uh, 14 out of the 27 books or epistles in the New Testament. Peter wrote two epistles. They're letters. It is paper with writing on it, okay? Or he says, for you're manifestly, it's clear, he says, you're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. If you are the epistle of Christ, you've had something written inside of you. Not on you, but inside of you. An epistle is a piece of paper with words written on it, if you're the epistle of Christ, you are somebody who's been, had something written inside you. For you manifest and declare to be the epistle of Christ, written by the Spirit of the living God. Notice this, not with ink, he says. Now, in other words, when Paul wrote his letters, he wrote them with ink. He didn't write them with a pencil, he wrote them with ink. So you are manifest and declare to be the epistle of Christ, not written with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of the living God has done some writing inside of you. He says, not on tables of stone, but in fleshy, not fleshly, but fleshy tables of the heart. Now, 
when Moses went on top of Mount Sinai, he got the Ten Commandments, didn't he? He brought them back on what? Two tables of stone. And there was writing on that stone, wasn't it? God wrote the Ten Commandments on two tables of stone, and he wrote it with his finger. He did something you couldn't do and I can't do. Now, that's important. When God gives us these examples, these illustrations, these analogies, it's important that you grasp it. Who do you know can take their finger and write something on stone? You can take your finger and write something on dirt. You can take your finger and write something, uh, you know, like that. But you cannot take your finger and write on stone. You just can't do it. You have to take a hammer and a chisel to chisel out something in stone. But God took his finger and wrote the Ten Commandments on two tables of stone, gave them to Moses. Moses come down the mountain, couldn't keep them. He broke them on the mountain because he got upset. What he heard down the valley, that's a picture of Adam's transgression at the very beginning. He didn't keep God's law. He broke it. So he says, you manifested declaring to be the epistle of Christ. He says, not written with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. He's giving you a reference back here. Now we come to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. He says, I will print my laws in their minds and I will write them in their hearts. Where does he write his law? He writes it in your heart, doesn't he? And I've said many times, if you get it mixed up, you print in the mind, write in the heart. Does he write in the mind, print in the heart? Go two chapters later, chapter 10, and he'll give it to you right the opposite. So no matter which way you say it, you got it right. I like that. How many times do you know in life you say something more than one way and get it right either way, right? He says, well, I will write them in the mind and print the heart. Oh, I will print in the mind and write it in the heart. And that's what God does to every single heir of promise. Sometime between conception and death, he borns his little child of the Spirit of God. Only he can do this kind of work. I will, I will, I will. Not man's will, this is God's will, you see. So here's man's heart by nature, but here's now man's heart by grace. This is the operation of grace, if you please. Now, take a look at um, the 8th chapter of the book of uh, Luke. You're going to find where the Lord said, A good man and the good treasure of his heart bring forth good things. Now, we've got a good man, we've got a good heart in his treasure, in his heart, and so he brings forth good things, right? For a man to bring forth good things, he's got to have a good heart. For a man to be good, he's got to have a good heart. But an evil man and the evil treasure of his heart brings forth the evil things. Now, he says there's such a thing as a good man, such a thing as an evil man. How do you tell the difference? Evil men do evil things. That's how you tell the difference. Good men do good things. That's how you tell the difference. And why they do good things? Because they got a good heart. Where did that heart come from? God gave it to them. The Lord made everything so simple, didn't he? So simple and so clear. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringing forth good things, but an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart Brings forth evil things. Now, blessed are the pure in heart. So how does a heart get from being desperately wicked and deceitful above all things and from declaring there is no God, how does he get to be a person with a, with a pure heart, right? Well, I've already given you that answer uh, on two or three places here, right? I've already given you. It, it takes the good Lord through his sovereign grace and his omnipotent power to bring it all about. And he does that. He never fails. The Lord has never failed in one case. The Lord is totally 100% successful in his operation of grace. He's a great physician. He's the best there is, isn't he? 
I get it, uh, it's kind of interesting to me to hear people talk about uh, they're getting ready to have surgery or they're going to see a doctor, and a lot of times they say, you know, they say that's the best there is. He's the best one. Everybody can't have the best one. You know that, don't you? Everybody cannot have the best there is. But it's a nice thought. Now, I like to hear that myself. I don't want the worst one, I tell you that. Now, I'll take the best one every single time. Oh, he's the best there is. He's the king. I, I may have mentioned this recently. I don't know. But I remember when I had my uh, double knee replacement surgery, Now I was laying there, and just before I conked out, I heard a man come to the foot of the bed. He picked up the, the little clipboard, you know, and read, Oh, you got Dr. Stein. You got the very best. You got the king. I went to sleep feeling good. <laughs> I just drifted off feeling good. I got the king. But you see, he, what he didn't know, I had the real king. I had the king of kings, the Lord of lords, right? <laughs> but just remember, everybody can't have the best. <laughs> but if they tell you that, well, take it, embrace it. Nothing wrong with that, right? So what are we to do with this heart that God's given us that one day is going to see God? There's a number of things the Lord tells us to do with this heart. He tells us that we should walk with a perfect heart. You go to 1 Kings chapter 8, and you're going to find where Solomon is. He's, give a, you know, he's built the house of God. He's prayed to God had the dedication, and after he prays to God and spreads his hands toward heaven, we find where, where he then blesses the people. And he tells the people, he says, walk before the Lord with a perfect heart. And you do that by keeping his laws and his commandments. He says, you're not to go after idols. Now, when they went after idols, he said, their heart was no longer perfect. How can imperfect people have a perfect heart? From the standpoint of keeping yourself from idols, and also uh, immoral behavior, that's the way you have a perfect heart. Now, this is Solomon who's saying that. But we come to 1 Kings chapter 11, and you'll find after the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings have, you know, say glowing things about Solomon, we find in chapter 11 where Solomon married many different wives, and they turned their, Solomon's heart away from God unto idols, and he no longer served God with a perfect heart. Like his father David did. Somebody said, David served the Lord with a perfect heart. The Bible says he did. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? Yeah, oh yeah, he messed up big time. But as far as idols was concerned, David never went after idols. He served God with a perfect heart. Now, we come over here to 1 Peter 3 and 18. And the Apostle Peter tells those he's writing to here, but sanctify the Lord God where? In your heart. Now, let's notice the importance of doing things with the kind of heart that we ought to have. There was a lawyer, before we get to that, there was a lawyer one time that came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, what is the great commandment? And the Lord said, the great commandment is this. The first of the, he gave him two. He says, it's to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. All thy body, all thy soul, and all thy strength. That's a, that's a tall order. But nevertheless, that's what the Lord said. That will take care of the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments right there. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. All thine heart. And love him with all thy soul, all thy might, and all thy strength. That takes daily commitment to do that. And then he says, love thy neighbors thyself. That takes care of the last six. Now, you got the Ten Commandments summed up in these two commandments. And then what about Proverbs 3 and 5? Oh, how that's such a precious verse. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
Lean not in thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy path. I've said this many times. One of the first verses I ever memorized nearly 50 years ago was Proverbs 3, 5. I encourage you to do the same, especially the young folks. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways, not some of them, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? He shall, she shall direct thy path. I love these shalls here. Blessed are those that know the joyful sound, for the, they shall walk, right? In the light of that camp. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. No wonder old Baptists are called hard shells. As I, I firmly believe it's because they were hard on the shells. We believe in the shells in the Word of God. We believe if God said a shell, that shell means a shell, right? Oh, yes. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Proverbs 28, 26 says, A fool... He that trusts his heart is a fool. We talked about a fool earlier this morning. If you trust in that heart that's desperately wicked, you're a fool. But you trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's a sign of being wise and a wise man, you see. He shall direct thy path. Now, the Lord said in Matthew 15 and 8, he's talking about the Pharisees, the Jewish people at that time. He says, for you draw nigh to me with your mouth and honor me with your lips, but your heart far from me. Notice we got the mouth, we got the lips, we got the heart. You dry near to me with your mouth, and you honor me with your lips. But where's the heart? He says, your heart is far from me. Now, see, the Lord knows the condition of my heart, knows the condition of your heart, and there's never a time he does not. In Acts chapter 1, you find when the disciples are going about the business trying to replace Judas Iscariot as the, that fallen apostle. And you know how they started off their request to God? It says, oh, Lord, thou knowest the hearts of all men. All men, without exception. Here's an all means without exception. There's not a heart of a human being in this world that God doesn't know it. He knows our hearts. He says, your heart's far from me. I don't want my heart to be far from God, do you? I, I, want, I want my heart to be close to God. Close to God. All right, 1 Peter 3, 18, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready on every occasion to give an answer to those who ask you for a reason of hope that lies within you. Every born-again child of God has a hope within their hearts and they need to be ready to give an explanation, get ready to give an answer to those who ask them a reason for that and the only way they can do that is have some biblical knowledge and understanding. And also the only way they can do that is they have to sanctify. The word sanctify means to set aside, set apart. And so in this heart of ours, it can get all cluttered up, can't it? <laughs> we know what clutter is this past week, I tell you that. Trying to move, you know what clutter is. You know what an accumulator is. And you know what <laughs> a hoarder is. <laughs> you find out we all got a little bit of all that in us, right? Oh, how easy to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And it follows you, it follows you, it follows you. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set aside a part of your heart here that nothing gets in front of it. It helps you love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. It helps you draw nigh to God. You don't want your heart away from God. You want your heart right there with God. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready on every occasion. And the reason you be ready on every occasion is because you never when the occasion is going to come up. You never know when it's going to be. It may be a co-worker beside you. 
He may be somebody just joined up with the park, taking a stroll, taking a walk in the park. Uh, it may be somebody, uh, you know, uh, any place, any time, you never know when that may happen, and you need to be ready, and you will not be ready if he's not sanctified in your heart. Brother Michael may mention how good the singing was this morning. I agree. I, it soothed my soul. It's just like being bathed in, luke, in hot water. <laughs> I started to say lukewarm. Uh, hot water. <laughs> Don't need no lukewarm stuff. Anyway, in hot water, right? That's right. Well, what does Ephesians 5, 19 say? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, we go very, uh, let me make this point. In Hebrews chapter 8, when he says, I will write my laws in your minds and put them in the hearts. He said, for no longer shall any man teach his brother his neighbor to know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. You see, every Israelite, every Jew, when, when Solomon addressed all Israel to walk with a perfect heart, all their hearts hadn't been changed. Not every single Israelite was a child of God. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 11, for they're not all Israel that's of Israel. What was he meaning by that? He simply means all the Hebrews and all the Israelites, they're not, not all of them were God's children. There's a natural Israel and there's a spiritual Israel. So he says, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now I emphasize this from time to time. When you sing in a congregational capacity, when you met together and assembled together and you worship God in a congregational capacity and you're singing, you're singing to the Lord. The Lord in heaven is listening. Now, if you'll just keep that in mind, I think it'll cause us to put forth a little stronger effort, right? In sincerity, in, in being here in the house of God on time, filling our seat on time, because we're getting ready to sing to the Lord. <laughs> you know, a young men used to try to serenade a woman to get their attention. I never tried that. I know my capabilities. I was trying to get Karen, not lose her. But we're singing to the Lord. And you know, the Lord is not impressed by how great a voice you've got. He's looking right in here, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. If you're singing to the Lord in sincerity, it's because you've got grace right in here. If you're able to make melody in your heart to the Lord, it's because you've got the grace of God right in, your, right in your heart. And so that's what makes beautiful singing is people making melody and sing with grace in their hearts to the Lord, giving their best shot, giving their best, uh, uh, you know, they, they can, and singing to the Lord, knowing that God will accept what I'm saying here, not based upon how well I can sing, not based upon how well I got my do-re-mis and everything else going on. He will accept what I'm doing if I'm sincere in heart, if I sanctify him in my heart. Singing to the Lord, teaching, admonishing one another. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, the weeping prophet, he said, I thought I'd not speak in the name of the Lord anymore. Every God called preacher somewhere along the line comes to this point. Comes to this point right here. The burdens get heavy, the load gets heavy, the discouragement gets heavy. Jeremiah says, I thought I'd not speak the name of the Lord anymore. But his word was somewhere. I wonder where it was at. But his word was in my heart. 
Now I was weary and forbearing and could not stay. He was like a fire in my bones. His word was in my heart like a fire in my bones. I was weary and forbearing, could not stay. So he said, I thought about doing it, but I couldn't lay it aside. I just couldn't do it. One of the grandsons the other day, I don't know why he asked me this. He says, Granddad, are you ever going to retire from preaching? <laughs> oh, why would he ask me such a question? <laughs> no, I don't intend to retire from preaching. You know, maybe pastoring, but not preaching. As long as I got a good enough mind, I've got a sound mind and a clear mind and can uh, feel like maybe benefit the Lord's people and feed the flock of God. Uh, you know, if I'm 95, 98, I'm shooting for 120, by the way. If the Lord will give me enough, enough health or whatever, I'm ready to stay here. If the Lord wants me to come home, I just won't have mental health and physical health to carry out the duty and responsibilities. I thought I'd not speak the name of the Lord anymore, but his word was in my heart. as a fire in my bones. I was weary and forbearing. I could not stay. In other words, Jeremiah said, I just, I just couldn't lay it aside. Preachers preach the gospel from the heart. Preach the gospel from the heart. Preach the gospel with passion. With, with convince, you know, in a convincing manner and way. You may not believe what I believe, but I want you to believe I believe what I believe. You believe that? I want to come across in such a way where there's no doubt where I stand. I tell you that now. I want you to understand I believe what I believe. I don't want some mealy mouth preaching going on, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> you know, preacher must preach from the heart. We sing from the heart. And every time we come to the house of God, and if we're not able to be there, we need to remember upon the first day of the week. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. He said, but let every man he so purpose in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God knows if you're giving it grudgingly. He does. He may fool other people. You may drop the check in the collection box with a smile on your face, but if you did it grudgingly, God knows that. If you've done it reluctantly, if you did it out of necessity, God knows that. You can fool people. You can't fool God. Why? Because God knows the hearts of all men. But if you do it cheerfully, my friends, oh, how God is pleased with that. When God's little children cheerfully support the church, cheerfully support the kingdom of God, when they cheerfully support the, the things of the Lord, how pleased God is with that. He loves a cheerful giver. When you consider what God has given us, oh, how little we give back to God. God gave his only begotten son, but God gave us a church. God gave us a kingdom. God gave us his word. God gives us the spirit and the holy communion of the Holy Spirit, my friends, where we can have communion with God on a regular basis in privacy and also in a public manner, in a public way, if our heart is right with God. That's the important thing, isn't it? Is our heart right with God? You know what Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira? You remember them in Acts chapter 5? Oh, they sold all they had and brought a portion. Not only brought a portion to the house of God, but they pretend they brought it all. And Peter says, why has thy lied in thine heart to the Holy Ghost? Peter, by divine revelation, knew they lied from their heart. We sing from the heart, we preach from the heart, we give from the heart. Always, you know, uh, kind of... Uh, intrigued by the passage over here in the book of uh, Exodus. In Exodus chapter 35, you'll find where 
the Israelites were gathered together. And Moses gave them instruction. Now, they're in the middle of trying to build something called the tabernacle. To build a tabernacle, they have to have materials, right? They have, and God gave them a list of materials and, uh, to use to build the tabernacle. And the Bible says in chapter 35, nine times he makes reference to people with a heart. Four times as people with a wise heart. Three times as people with a willing heart. And two times as people whose hearts are stirred. That's, how, that's the kind of people God used to build the tabernacle. Wise-hearted people. Spiritually-hearted people. You know, um, willing people. And, you know, the old saying, you know, every, all God's people are willing. You know, all God's people are willing people. There's 10% who do all the work and 9% is willing to let them. I'm glad that's not the ratio here. Okay, I know better. I'm glad that's not the ratio here. But I've seen that ratio a few times in my life. They were willing-hearted. They were wise-hearted. And they were stirred in their heart. And that's the kind of people God used to bring the materials to build the tabernacle with. Oh, how wonderful to be around people like that. And you know what the results was? Finally, they came to Moses. The people came to Moses and says, you, you need to tell the people to stop. You need to restrain the people from coming and giving. It says, because we got more than enough. Isn't that wonderful? We got more than enough. The people have been so generous. They've been so uh, uh, committed to all of this. We've got more than enough. Why? Because God used willing-hearted people and wise-hearted people and people's hearts who were stirred. They were stirred to serve the true and the living God. Oh, how wonderful. Where our heart is being used, is it not, in, in the service of God? God knows the hearts of all men. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a wonderful statement. What a wonderful beatitude. They're all wonderful. But this one just stuck out. You know what I mean? Just, just stuck out from the I say that right, stuck out. Anyway, <laughs> it just separated itself from the others. Blessed are the pure in heart. You're going to see God one day because you got a pure heart. And God gave you the pure heart. He gave you a heart to sing, making melody in it. He gave you a heart to sing with grace in it. He gave you the heart to, to give generously and cheerfully to the house of God. He gave you that heart. Man by nature is not that way, but man by grace can be and should be. He gave you the kind of heart that you can walk before God with a perfect heart. He gave you the kind of heart where you can just set aside, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And so we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We're to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart. I come to Acts chapter 8, and I read where there was a eunuch, and there, uh, uh, Philip, and there was a man that was a eunuch. And the eunuch had been down in Jerusalem worshiping God. And on the way back, he opened up Isaiah chapter 53 and was reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah on the way back home. And he had a long journey, he had a long trip. And God, who knows the hearts of all men, sent an old Baptist preacher down there by the name of Philip. I believe he's an old Baptist preacher, Brother Michael, because he preached the truth of grace, I tell you that. And so he sent Philip down there. And the Bible says that Philip was joined to the chariot by the Spirit of God. And he asked the question, understand this, what thou readest? He says, how can I accept some man guide me? That's the purpose of the gospel preacher is to be a spiritual guide, to be a, a scriptural guide, a guide through the word of God. How can I accept some man guide me? And began the same scripture. 
he spoke unto him from Isaiah chapter 53 and says he preached Christ unto him. That tells me every single verse in Isaiah chapter 53 is a verse related to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And after he got through preaching Christ to him, they came by some water. And he looked at that, you know, looked at that water. <laughs> you know, the Lord's always providing water at the right time, isn't he? Just like he did uh, there at uh, Elam when they had the 12 palm trees and, uh, and the 70 wells and Israel come out in the wilderness. Whoever, uh, whoever thought about finding 12 wells and 70 palm trees in the desert land, in the wilderness, God just put it there. And so somehow or another, there's some uh, timely uh, 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 providence here and they come by the water and the eunuch says, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? What's hindering me from being baptized? And Philip said to the eunuch, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He believed with all his heart that the man that Philip had been preaching to him about Oh, how Philip must have preached with great power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. I'd love to have that one on a, D, on a CD, wouldn't you? Uh, that message from Isaiah 53. I've tried to preach from Isaiah 53. I've heard men preach from Isaiah 53. But I'd love to have heard Philip preach from Isaiah chapter 53 because he got results. I remember one time I preached on the subject of baptism and 10 people came forth and I almost fell backwards. I said, well, it worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Four come down here, two over here, two of anyway. They all came down at one time. I was just taken back. I was amazed. I couldn't believe I actually preached on it and people responded. <laughs> if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And being the Son of God, he secured the salvation of the elect of God to where everyone whom Christ died for will one day be with God in glory without the loss of one. Not one drop of the precious blood of Jesus was shed in vain. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.